Grace, mercy, and peace be unto you from God our Father and from our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ. Amen. The portion of God's Word that is the basis for the message this morning is taken from the Old Testament reading of Malachi, chapter 3, verses 1 through 4. Please rise as we hear these words. Look, I am sending my messenger. He will prepare the way before me. Then suddenly the Lord whom you are seeking will come to his temple. The messenger of the covenant in whom you delight will surely come, says the Lord of armies. But who can endure the day when he comes? Who will remain standing when he appears? For he will be like a refiner's fire, like launderer's bleach. He will be seated like a refiner and purifier of silver. He will purify the sons of Levi and refine them like gold and like silver. They will belong to the Lord and bring him an offering in righteousness. Judah and Jerusalem's offerings will be pleasing to the Lord as they were in the days of old in years long ago. This is the word of our Lord. Let us pray. Heavenly Father, these are your words. Make us holy through the truth. Your word is truth. Amen. You may be seated. <clears throat> Preparation. That's what this time of year seems to be all about. We're, we're thinking about getting ready for Christmas. Maybe you're trying to think of how you're going to get everything done if you've got shopping and cooking and baking and perhaps getting ready to make a trip. Are you going to get it all done? Preparation, that's exactly what this, this season, this church season of Advent is all about. During this season, we're actually preparing ourselves for something far more monumental, far more important than just our earthly celebrations of Christmas. We're preparing for Christ's coming. His first coming, yes, but especially his second coming at the end of the world. So that same sort of question that we may have on our minds about Christmas really applies here, too, during Advent. Will we be ready for Christ's coming? Preparation. The scripture readings that we've heard this morning have concentrated on preparing, being ready for Christ's coming. According to what God said through the prophet Malachi, the path for the Christ, for the Messiah, had to be cleared of all obstacles. So as we continue to contemplate the advent of our Savior, and as we think about this message that John the baptizer came to bring, God's message for us today is this. The messenger clears the way for the messenger. Now it's pretty obvious who this messenger is that was supposed to clear the way. We know that's John the baptizer. And we know who the messenger is, for whom he was to clear the way, and that is our Savior, Jesus. So why was John supposed to clear the way for Christ? First off, because people are seeking him, are seeking Christ. In verse 1, God said, Then suddenly the Lord whom you are seeking will come. Now this didn't necessarily seem to be the case when it came to God's people who were hearing these words the first time. 
just a little bit of background to what's taking place here. God's people at this time, the southern kingdom of Judah, had been conquered years before, carried off into exile into Babylon. And eventually some of them were allowed to return, to come back. And they went to Jerusalem. And there they found the temple. The temple had been destroyed when they had been conquered. And so then some of them set about to repair the temple, to rebuild it. This temple was their symbol of God's presence among them. This was the place that they were to worship. And so they had been worshiping God while living in a foreign country. They came back to Jerusalem. They're worshiping God still, but they don't have their temple. And now finally their temple is rebuilt. They were excited. They were zealous for the worship of their Lord. But then the newness of it all started to wear off. They lost that zeal that they had when the temple was first rebuilt. Note that in verse 4 of this passage, God states that when his messenger would come, that the people would worship him again as they did in the days of old and as in former years. It seems that God's people had become somewhat complacent, somewhat indifferent toward their relationship with God. Their offerings weren't even pleasing to the Lord. So that definitely meant that something was wrong. Perhaps the question could have been asked, were they simply going through the motions? Now that their temple had been rebuilt, now that they had this permanent place of worship, had they become too comfortable with their rediscovered zeal for the Lord and for his word. These were the things, the very things that were in the way, the things that the messenger was to come and clear away. And we might look at our present world and, and wonder, well, isn't the same thing true today that, that people really don't care that much about God? But we do have to say that people still are seeking God. What is it that all people want? Well, deep down, everybody wants some sort of fulfillment. They want some sort of meaning in their lives. And granted, it's quite obvious that people seek fulfillment in all kinds of different ways. Some people might seek fulfillment through riches. And so they, they uh, try to hit it rich by winning the lottery. Maybe they make some investments and they're just hoping to, to get more money. Some people seek fulfillment by becoming, wanting to become famous. They want to be known around the world, or at least on social media. Some people seek fulfillment by serving others. Maybe they serve in, in various ways in their community. Some people seek fulfillment simply by carrying out all of the roles that they have on a day-to-day -day basis. In reality, what is it that we're doing when we're trying to seek fulfillment in our lives. Why is it that we want our lives to mean something? Well, we want to have meaning in something bigger than us. We know that there is a higher power, some higher power who governs everything, and we want to have meaning within that grand scheme of things. We want to make a difference in the world. So deep down, we could say that everyone is seeking after God. 
Everyone wants to please a power higher than himself. And so the question really then becomes, well, whom are you seeking? Which God, that is, are you seeking? How will you seek to find fulfillment? And really then that's the question for us. Are you seeking fulfillment in the right place? Are you seeking him? Are you seeking the messenger, the promised Savior, Christ Jesus? We're very clear on who Jesus is, that he is the Savior of the world. We're clear on what he came to do, that he came to live and die and rise so that he could provide salvation for us and for the whole world. But during this season of Advent, during this time when we're thinking about, when we're looking forward to his return, to his Advent, Are we seeking him? Or are too many other things, sinful desires, mountains and valleys and hills, are they all in the way? Yes, the messenger, John the baptizer, came to clear the way for the messenger, Jesus Christ. He came to stir up in us that realization that we need to seek Jesus. We need to look forward to his coming, especially his second coming. But John the Baptist also needed to clear the way for Jesus so that Jesus could purify the people. We live in a world where cleanliness is king or queen, if you prefer. Even before COVID became a thing. Think about all of the antibacterial products that are available to us. All kinds of different soaps, antibacterial wipes, and the list could go on. And since COVID, of course, we've become even more conditioned to want to make sure that we don't become infected with with germs, especially the, the viruses that are out there. Sometimes we might even start to feel a little paranoid about making sure that we stay safe. But whatever precautions that we take don't guarantee that we're not going to get sick. We all know people who have taken every precaution possible And still they end up with COVID or still they end up with the flu or some other virus or or disease. Scientists even tell us that there is a particular strain of bacteria, particular strain of Staphylococcus bacteria that cannot be killed. Bacteria and other germs have become so resistant to all of the anti-germ warfare that we've had over the years, all the antibiotics, that sometimes They just can't be killed. Now, this is definitely not the case when it comes to the filth of our sin. Because Jesus is the ultimate filth killer. In this passage from Malachi, he's called a refiner and a purifier. And as a refiner, he burns off all of the impurities in us. Jesus destroys all sin and sinfulness. And how does he do this? How does he destroy all of these bad parts in us? Well, he does that through his law. God describes his law in Jeremiah 23 this way. Is not my word like fire and like a hammer which shatters rock? In his word, God's law comes crashing down on us and it pulverizes any inkling that we have that we may have some sort of good within us. In his law, God's word sears our consciences 
so that we're rightfully accused of committing sins against him on a daily basis. For example, have we lost some of the zeal, some of the excitement that we have when it comes to worshiping our Lord? Do we come to church merely from force of habit or because we feel like we have to? Or we may take a look at the Ten Commandments and say, you know, I'm not doing too badly. I I haven't killed anyone lately or I haven't stolen anything. I haven't committed adultery. But we know that we fall so short of keeping God's law. We can never escape the work that Jesus came to do of refining, of burning off the bad that's within us. But the good news is Jesus is also the purifier. John writes in his first letter that the blood of Jesus cleanses us from all sin. Much better than any antibiotic, any antibacterial soap, Jesus removes all of our sin. He didn't have to come and scrub hard. He didn't have to use harsh chemicals. He simply comes in the water of baptism and he washes our sins away. With that simple water, that water connected to God's word, our sins are gone. And not only that, Jesus gave us what we're lacking. Now, I want you to imagine an older car, one that has lived its entire life in the upper Midwest. Now, if this car is old enough, what might you expect to find on it? Well, chances are you're going to see rust on this car. And let's say that someone decides that they want to take care of all of that rust and they go about removing all of the rusty spots on this car. But then what are you left with? Well, you're left with a car that's full of holes. And so to complete the process, you have to have somebody who knows what they're doing to be able to come and and fill in all of those spots with new metal so that then that car is restored. In our baptisms, Jesus does the same thing for us. He gave us his perfect life to fill in everything that we were lacking. He came to us in our baptisms and wrapped us in his robe of righteousness. So now, when God looks at us, he doesn't see a person full of holes from the sin being removed. He sees a perfect person, a perfect, purified person. Now, it is somewhat of a painful process to go through to experience that refining and purifying process. But this is part of the reason why John had to clear the way for Jesus, for the messenger. We were dirty. We need to be clean, especially when we're thinking about Judgment Day. And Jesus cleansed us. And now we can present offerings that are pleasing to the Lord. Listen again to the last part of this passage from Malachi, verses 3 and 4. He will be seated like a refiner and a purifier of silver. He will purify the sons of Levi and refine them like gold and like silver. They will belong to the Lord and bring him an offering in righteousness. Judah and Jerusalem's offerings will be pleasing to the Lord as they were in the days of old in years long ago. Now, someone who is not a Christian, someone who does not believe that Jesus is their Savior, could come in here 
and could drop a million dollars in that offering plate and think that maybe they had done something that was pretty decent. But would that offering be pleasing in the sight of God? Well, unfortunately, no, it wouldn't. Jesus said in John 15, apart from me, you can do nothing. In other words, if we have no relationship with Christ, if faith in him has not been worked in us, then nothing that we do can be pleasing to him. It's only through Christ, only through having a faith relationship with him that we can please God, that we can present offerings to him that are pleasing. And that's because it's not really us who is doing these things. Paul writes in Philippians 2, It is God who continues to work in you, both to be willing and to be doing what, he, what is pleasing to him. Any good thing that we do really does not come from us. The, the desire to do good things, that all comes from God. When we want to give generously of our time for the Lord's work in various ways, well, that desire comes from God. When we want to, to make use of the talents with which God has blessed us, that desire to do that comes from God. When we want to give generously of our material blessings so that the work of the Lord and his kingdom can continue, well, that desire comes from God. And really, the actual doing of it, as Paul says, the doing of that comes from God also. So when it comes to doing work in the Lord's kingdom, God is the one that gets all of the credit. Do we get the credit for being born? Do we get the credit for being reborn through baptism? No. God did all that work and he continues to work in us. He continues to work through us. Yes, we have been purified by God's true messenger, by our Savior, Christ Jesus. And as purified people of God, we continue to prepare for Christ's second advent, his second coming. Keep seeking him. He is coming soon. Keep allowing him to purify and cleanse you because we know then we will be ready for him on the last day. This was John's message, John the baptizer's message, and that message is still true today. Clear the way. Jesus is coming. Amen.